Well, have you ever had one of those moments in life where you started a project really, really strong and you kind of came out of the gate swinging? You have those moments, right, where you, you, you start something really, really strong. You are fired up. Nothing can slow me down. Move out of my way. Obstacles, move out of my way. Naysayers, and we have got this. Challenges, bring them on. No problem. And then life sets in. And your motivation and your energy, they start to decrease a little bit. But we still got this. My head is still above water. Although the people who I thought were with me have now left me. You know, this, this basketball goal said some assembly required. It should have said massive amounts of assembly required. But I've, I, I've still got this. It's a little bit more than I expected. I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. But I'm here, and I'm going to make it. And the visual of where I am is a lot different than where I thought I would be. I thought that my life would look like the Kool-Aid man bursting through that wall, which, again, is an illustration only those of you over the age of 40 are going to get. <laughs> but you realize those moments. But instead of being the Kool-Aid man, you kind of slow down to a walk, and you start losing your steam. I guess you could say, I'm just trying to maintain. Maybe you can relate to that feeling. Those moments when you think something is going to be a lot better than it actually is. Maybe for you it's a family challenge, or maybe it's a relationship challenge, or maybe it's the pandemic that we came out of, or, or maybe it's your kids' schedules. You thought this was going to be the year that schedules would not eat us for lunch, but it's February and you're already toast with your schedule. You thought this was going to be the year that I get a six-pack. Yeah, right. Maybe you've been thinking to yourself, this is the year we're going to eat healthy at home every night. But the DoorDash people know you by name. They're like, hi, Tara, you got a new puppy. How's your mom? You know, how's the new job? <laughs> there's big dreams. There's these big hopes. There's these aspirations. There's the best of intentions. The moment where something starts strong, but it doesn't necessarily maintain its growth or its significance. Well, this morning, I want you to find your proverbial seatbelt. And I want you to buckle up because we're going to open the Bible and we're going to look at the early church. And what you're going to see in the early church is a very strong start. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, where you see the church formed, you not only see the church come into existence, but undoubtedly the clearest picture of why we exist as a church and how we are to operate is mapped out for us in these 47 verses in Acts chapter 2. But I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. Don't you love that guy that you're watching a movie with who tells you what's getting ready to happen before it actually happens? This is the spoiler alert. I am going to show you how the church starts. I'm going to show you your role in that. You're going to see what roles and responsibilities you have as the hands and feet of Jesus here in the 21st century as we at Rolling Hills Community Church are a part of the global capital C church that's on the move, and you will see your place in the story. But if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this. The church doesn't just have a strong start. The church doesn't just have a strong start. The church is stronger right now than ever because evil does not win in the end. The church has not lost her steam. Jesus is alive, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a mission to accomplish. And as a matter of fact, Acts chapter 2 is the clearest thing that we see in Scripture. So if you have a Bible or a mobile app, hop online with us to Acts chapter 2 because you're going to see here a template for what it means to be the church, not only here in Nolensville, but around the globe. And I'm so grateful that you're here with us today on this grand opening Sunday of our Nolensville campus. And let's pray that God would do what only he can do now in our midst and in our hearts and in this place. If you'll pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day of life. Thank you for every person who is assembled here together with us. I thank you for this incredible morning of worship. I thank you for the word that we get to study now. 
And I pray that you would meet us in the midst of it, that you would do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine in this place. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 is where we're going to start. You're going to see these words up here on the screen as well if you want to follow along with me. A lot of them are printed there for you in your worship guide as well. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 11. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in their own language. And when they, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Scroll down with me to verse 11. The last part of verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So Acts chapter 2 picks up on the day of Pentecost, which is approximately 10 days after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. And what you need to know about the day of Pentecost is the day of Pentecost is a celebration. It's a festival that would commemorate the first fruits of the harvest season. So what does Jerusalem look like at this, this time? It is teeming with people. There are people everywhere who have come to celebrate this festival. It's overflowing with people. And it says in verse 1 that they are all together. Who are the they? The they is 120 early followers of Jesus. It's the disciples. It's these early followers of Jesus. And they are worshiping and they're praying. And suddenly it says in verse 2, this mighty rushing wind, this violent wind starts filling the house and it's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come, and the Holy Spirit comes and rests on them, and they start speaking languages that they do not know, and confetti cannons explode, and <laughs> it's this amazing moment. And when they start speaking these languages, what's really, really interesting is that people in Jerusalem start hearing words in their native tongue. And they start hearing words in a language that they understand, and it causes them to be bewildered and amazed. Well, I guess in full disclosure, I should say that part of the group was really, really bewildered and amazed by this, and the other part of the group thought that not only were they not working on six-packs, but they're engaging with some six-packs, if you know what I mean. But Peter steps up, and he addresses the crowd, and he says, these folks are not drunk. They're not drunk on wine, but rather, this is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit, and that there would be signs, and there would be wonders but most significantly, if you look in verse 21, this was what the prophet Joel said as well. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, Peter is saying that this is exactly what God promised us was going to happen. God promised us the Holy Spirit. Just you weren't in tune to the message. God also told you he was going to send a Messiah but you didn't recognize him. You were looking for a different Messiah. I mean, look at verses 22 through 24. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, this serves as a really great reminder for us today. 
And I hope if you're taking notes that you'll reflect upon some of these notes. Maybe you want to write down some things in your worship guide so you can reflect upon it a little bit later in the week. This is kind of one of our big ideas for today, and you see it right here in Acts chapter 2. And it's just as true now as it was back then. God is always moving in power, whether you realize it or not. God is always moving in power, whether you realize it or not. From the beginning of recorded time, God was pointing to your need and my need for a Savior. From the beginning of time, this is all about God showing us we need a Savior. And we will try to find a Savior in a myriad of places, but God made a way through Jesus Christ for us to be made right. And only through Jesus Christ can my life be made whole. And can I be free like we were talking about this morning? See, that is God moving in power. Jesus also said, I'm going to depart from this earth physically, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a wonderful counselor. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. See, that's also God moving in power. And instead of worshiping, though, and instead of committing to follow Jesus, Peter says to the crowd, to the Israelites, you nailed him to the cross. Instead of seeing who he is, you were looking for a different Messiah. God was moving in power. You may have not realized it. It has been my experience that there's moments in life when God is moving in power, and I just don't see it. Maybe you've had those moments as well. It's highly likely that all of us can relate to that. God is moving in power, and we just are not paying attention. Maybe God is working in a way that we can never expect or imagine right now because he is sovereign, which is a really fancy word for meaning he is in control of everything. He is in control of every detail of our life, and it should come as no surprise to us that God is moving in power whether we realize it or not. So how about today we open our hands and say, God, I'm listening. I know that you're moving in power in my life and in our midst. Help me to see it. It's likely that there's somebody in the room that you don't even know why you're here today. Someone invited you, you just drove by, there was balloons, and you thought, I'll just go see what's happening. You think it's random that you're here. Let me assure you, it's not. Did you know in life you're not here by accident? You are not here by accident. And trust me, I mean so much more than you being at Rolling Hills Community Church on this Sunday morning, February 12th. It's not by accident that you're here, but it's also not by accident that you are where you are in life, that things have worked out the way that they have, and maybe you've gone through a really difficult season. I want to assure you this morning, God has not abandoned you, and you are not here by accident. Maybe you have missed what it is that God has wanted to do in your life. Maybe you've had those moments where God has been moving in power, and I've just chosen not to see it, or I've chosen not to lean into it. Know that you are really in good company if you have missed what it is that God wanted to do, Jesus' own disciples who walked with him in person for three years of public ministry missed a lot of what Jesus was trying to get them to catch. But right here in Acts chapter 2, God used them to start a movement. God used very imperfect people to start the church, and he wants to use you, and he continues to use us to spread the message. And what he asks us to do is to simply be obedient to share with others about how he has changed us and to share with others the impact that he has made on our lives. Let's keep scrolling down to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Here you have this group of early Christ followers, this group of 120, and they're saying God has raised Jesus to life, and we were witnesses of it. The first church interacting with Jews, and what you need to realize is that the Jewish people were much more elite than the Galileans. They were much more well-versed, they were much smarter, much more eloquent, 
And God uses this group of people who are very broken, who are very flawed, and he says, tell them what you have seen. Show them what you have experienced. And God did what he said he was going to do, and this group of Galileans said, we were witnesses to it. So what does that mean for you, and what does that mean for me? It means the same thing for us today that it did for them back in the first century, that you have a story, and that story is worth sharing. You have a story of what you've seen God do, and that story is worth sharing. Do you know in life there will never be a substitute for your personal witness of what God has done in your life? There is no substitute for you boldly and confidently saying, God has worked in my life, and I want to tell you about it. In fact, if I could share with you every story that's present in the life of Rolling Hills Community Church, every story where God has moved and where God has shown up in ways that can only be described by him, we would literally be here all day. In fact, we would be here multiple days if not multiple months. And I can't share all those stories with you, but I want to just highlight a few. And these are not made-up stories. These are stories that I know about directly. And I could tell you and produce the names of the people connected to these stories. I have heard this story so many times. I was addicted to painkillers. I was addicted to alcohol, and God freed me from that addiction, and I want to help other people who are struggling, just like me. I was ready to give up on my marriage, but because of God, the community of this church We're not getting a divorce. We had divorce papers in hand, and we sent them through the shredder. God brought healing in an area of my life that I have kept so off limits to everyone, and God showed up and brought peace and comfort in a way that only he can. I've heard this story. I made it my personal mission to discredit Christians and to try to tear apart their message, to try to poke holes in their arguments, but God moved in power, and he showed me his grace and my need for a Savior. And I've heard this story more times than I count. I've lived for success of this world. Money, power, and influence were my gods, and it took all of it to actually fall by the wayside to help me realize where my deepest need really lies. See, what makes your story so powerful is that nobody can discredit your story. What made the first century followers of Jesus' story so powerful is that nobody could discredit their story. It's kind of like if you were to ask me, Jason, what's your favorite food? And I were to say to you, steak with baked potato, just butter, grilled asparagus, mac and cheese, and carrot. Oh, you didn't want the whole meal. You wanted just the food. Okay, steak. We'll go with steak. How dare you look at me and say, your favorite food is not steak. Your favorite food is kale. I would say, no, it's not. That used to be a garnish when I was a kid on salad bars. (laughs) And now it's a superfood. You can't tell me what my favorite food is. I know what my favorite food is. And what the disciples are saying here is that God raised Jesus to life, and we were witnesses of it. I know what I saw. They took him and put him on a cross. They brought him off that cross. He was dead. They placed him in a tomb, and for three days, we thought that was the end of the story. But on that glorious Easter morning, he bursts forth out of the grave to show us that he conquers death, can conquer anything in our life. And then he came back and walked with us for 40 days, and 10 days ago, he ascended back to heaven. And just a few hours ago, there was this mighty rushing wind that came into our midst, and we started speaking languages that we did not know, and you heard a language that you understood, all I'm telling you is I know what I know. We were witnesses to it. And because of the witnesses of the early disciples, it served as a catalytic event in the life of the early church, meaning our witness to the glory of God will continue to serve 
as a catalytic event in the lives of other people, and in the lives of this gathering, or in the lives of our churches in our community. Go down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And what Peter does here is he testifies to the goodness of God. And he testifies to who Jesus is. And the people heard the message of the gospel. And the Bible says it cut them to the heart. Now, this is a really interesting word. Every so often, I like to kind of give you the Greek word because the Bible wasn't written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek, and we translated it over. And if you've ever studied languages, you know that sometimes when you translate things over, there's maybe some meaning that's a little bit more nuanced. And this is one of those cases. In fact, this is the only time this word appears in the New Testament. And the Greek word is karanuso. It's the only occurrence in the New Testament. And what that word literally means is that the word of God pricked violently at the heart of these hearers. It was kind of like a dagger to their heart and not in a negative way. Sometimes we think the message of Jesus might have an impact. Sometimes we think, you know, if I share Jesus with someone else, God might do something through that. Rather, the word of God, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, it pricks us violently. And the word of God is a sharp sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, according to the book of Hebrews. See, the word of God, as you see here on the screen, the word of God accomplishes more than you're ever capable of grasping. The word of God accomplishes more than you're ever capable of grasping. It's why it's alive, and it's why it works And when that word is shared and when the message of the gospel is shared, these early first century hearers, their response is, what shall we do? What shall we do? See, when you tell your story, when you tell your story of transformation, when you tell your story of what God has done in your life, and when you juxtapose that with the word of God, and you say, this is what I have seen God do, and this is what the word of God says, I assure you amazing things happen. And people's lives are forever changed. That's why here at Rolling Hills Community Church, if you're new to Rolling Hills today, I want to let you kind of look behind the curtain a little bit. Here at Rolling Hills Community Church, we are built on the Word of God. The Word of God is foundational to our ministry. It is our true center, the Word of God. And when confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, and what God was doing, and what God is currently doing here in this place, even as we speak, I'm not sure that there's a better question that we could ever ask ourselves than the first century hearers were asking themselves. They look at Peter, and they say, we've heard your message, we've heard the stories, we've heard the witnesses, we've heard the testimonies, we've heard words proclaimed in languages that we understood that you didn't know how to speak. What shall we do? What shall we do? Some of you are at a point in your life right now where I believe with all of my heart that that's the best question you could ask yourself today. Very honestly and very openly between you and God to just simply say, God, what do I need to do? What is it that I need to do, Lord? And Peter replied to that question of what do I need to do with a very poignant answer. And maybe it's the answer that you need to hear today. If you're asking yourself that question, what shall I do? Hear the words of Scripture this morning. Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
And with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I would say this was a pretty good momentum booster for the church. I would say this was a pretty good momentum builder. Peter says to the crowd, repent of your sins, turn from your way of living, turn away from your own ways, ask God to forgive you of the sin in your life, profess your faith in Jesus Christ, opposed to faith in yourself or faith in all these other little g-gods, be baptized, walk in new life. And then Peter continues by saying, by the way, this is really good news for you, but it's also really good news for your children. And it's also good news for your children's children. And it's also good news for everyone who will hear it in the days and months and years to come, including on February 12, 2023, in Nolensville, Tennessee. It's good news, and it will change our lives. And as a result of that proclamation, 3,000 people accepted the message. The church was set in motion and has not slowed down since. Now, let me tell you a little bit about my background. I have a background in speech communication, and I've always loved talking. Uh, My parents are actually here with me today on the front row, and they can attest to this. Um, (laughs) As an elementary student, it often showed up on my report card, Jason talks too much, um, which I never thought was a bad thing then, and I still don't think it's a bad thing now. If that's the criticism you can give to an elementary student, he talks too much, welcome it. I like talkers. I enjoy chatting with people. I double majored in college in psychology and speech. I was on speech and debate teams. I studied how to put together talks. I'm a pastor by vocation, meaning that a part of the work that I do is try my best to put messages together that will hopefully communicate the word of God to you in the most effective way that I know how to do it. But for all intent and purposes, let's just be real. This wasn't a very good speech from Peter. It wasn't. I mean, look at what he did. He had no attention getter. (laughs) He had no alliteration. He had no printed notes. He had very few stories. He didn't tell us what he was going to tell us. And he didn't move from point A to point B and remind us with gestures and hand movements what he just told us and then move back to the center. He didn't do any of that. So it really wasn't a very good speech. But what did he do? Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says he prayed constantly and that the early group of Christ followers prayed constantly. And then Peter stands up and he speaks for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer. And then the Holy Spirit moved in power and 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. So this was Peter's formula. Pray for a long time, speak for a little time, and God moves. What do I tend to do? I tend to pray for a little time, speak for a lot of time, and then I'm surprised when God doesn't show up and do something immaculately, measurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. I think in our lives, whether you are a pastor, whether you are a CEO, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a mom or dad or any and all of the above, I believe God is looking for a generation that will say, it is time for me to have a whole lot of God and a little bit of me. In my work, I want my work to be a whole lot of God and a little bit of me. In this parenting journey that I'm on, I want it to be a whole lot of God and a little bit of me. And as we seek to be the church that he has called us to be, may we make a commitment right here and right now to say, whole lot of God and a 
little bit, or I should say, none of me and none of you. And what God is saying is, I have a plan for you, and I want to use you. And he started something and set it all in motion with a guy named Peter, who, lest we forget, 53 days prior to this moment denied even knowing Jesus. So if you think God can't use a broken person like you, rest assured, God specializes in using broken people. God specializes in using wayward people. God specializes using people with a past. God specializes in using people who are flawed. God specializes in using people who have the wherewithal and the courage to say, I am so imperfect, but only through the power of Jesus Christ can I ever be made right. See, that is actually the best ingredient to be a useful servant for God. And God is saying to us today, I have a plan for you, and I want to use you. And God is looking for men and women, boys and girls, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, young adults. God is looking for people today who will set aside their own agenda and who will follow him with a deep, abiding commitment. And when we do that, God invites us into a realm that many of us may have never experienced before. And maybe you've never experienced that before because you've never made that profession of faith to follow Jesus Christ. If that's your story this morning, I want you to know how honored I am that you're here with us today. And I pray that the message of the gospel would prick your heart today because it's the words of this sermon that Peter gave that actually launched the church into motion. And those words simply put were repent and be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, ask for the forgiveness of your sins. And if that's your story this morning and you want to know more about that, as Pastor Jeff mentioned at the top of the service, you have that connection card. We would love nothing more than you to write your name on that. And you can check one of those boxes and say, I don't even know what I'm checking with this box, but I want somebody to reach out to me this week. And I want someone to share with me about the hope of the gospel. Or I have some questions about that. At the end of the service, there's going to be offering baskets that come by your seat. You can place that card in there and you can rest assured that this week we will follow up with you. Because that message of repent and be baptized was the catalytic event that launched the church. But I want you to listen to how the ministry of the church continued. Because, see, this was the catalytic moment. But listen to what actually sustained and spread the ministry. Because this is where you and I come in. This is where we find our marching orders this morning. Go down to verse 42. They, these are all the early Christ followers, and now the (laughs) 3,000 that have joined the flock. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in their temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When I encounter Jesus, everything in me changes. And when you encounter Jesus, everything in you changes. It's exactly what happened in the earliest days of the church. That encounter with Jesus means that my life cannot go on business as usual. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, it means that your life, your life, your life cannot go on business as usual. What was the early church like? What happened in these early gatherings? It says they devoted themselves to teaching and prayer. It said they had a sense of awe as to who God is. It said that they had everything in common, meaning that my excess was available for your deficit and that your excess, vice versa, was able to help me in my moments of need. It also says they enjoyed fellowship with one another with a gladness and a sincerity 
and a joy of heart. One of our core values here at Rolling Hills, if you're new, is joy. We think church should be fun. We think the message of the gospel should be celebrated. We think life change in people's lives should be celebrated. If you can't have joy in the house of the Lord, where else can you have the joy and the hope because of what Jesus has done for us? It says they enjoyed that fellowship. They enjoyed the gathering together. But it also says they never stopped praising him for who he is and for what he has done. And did you catch in verse 47? The Lord added daily to the number who was being saved. People were added daily to the church. Why? Because the followers of Jesus, because the early church was living like Jesus. When the church acts like Jesus, the Lord shows up. We can and should expect the same thing today. Why did the early church grow? The early church grew because the followers of Jesus, they stood in awe of God. They sought to meet the needs of other people around them, and God moved. It's why the church has grown in the midst of adversity. It's why the church is growing around the globe right now. You don't have to look very closely to see the secret sauce. In fact, Jesus gave us the secret sauce as to what it means to be on the front lines of significant life-giving ministry. It's in the book of Matthew when Jesus was asked, it's all over the Gospels, when Jesus was asked, what are the most important laws that we should follow? Jesus, show us what is really most important. And Jesus very aptly said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he concludes by saying, all of the law of the prophets hang on these two commands. Love God and love people. I don't know about you, but that's actually the kind of work I desire to be a part of. See, that's the kind of work that I hope and pray that we all desire to be a part of. That is at the heart and the vision of Rolling Hills Community Church. For those of you who are new today, for those of you who are visiting with us for the very first time today, thank you so much for being here. I want to say thank you to saying yes to whoever invited you to come today. And for those of you who invited someone to come with you today, thank you. I celebrate that. I celebrate that you care about your friends and you care about your neighbors and you care about them not only as people, but you care about their families and you care about what it is that God can do and wants to do in their life. For those of you who think that you just accidentally drove onto our campus today, know that it was not by accident and I am glad you are here. And this is the vision statement. This is the vision statement of Rolling Hills Community Church, to be a people of God reaching out, growing up, and giving all. It's what we desire to be. That's why we ask you to be all in. That's why we want you as a church community to not make life about yourself, but rather about loving God and loving others. It's why we're so passionate about what God's doing around the globe. It's why we ask you to sponsor pastors along the Amazon River Basin through Justice and Mercy International. It's why we to date have over a thousand kids sponsored in this beautiful little country called Moldova in Central Eastern Europe, and we need more sponsors. It's why we're passionate about serving not only around the globe, but here in our community. It's why we're passionate about organizations like the Nolensville Food Pantry, the Bridge Ministry, and so many others that are too numerous to count. It's why we ask you as a community to be involved in serving. If you're in a community group, we ask you to serve. It's why as families, we try to provide you as many opportunities we can as a church for you as a family to serve and to make a difference in the lives of other people. It's why we ask you to share hope and light, the light of Christ with all those you come in contact with, because when we stand in awe of him and when we meet those needs, Just like the early church did, God shows up and does something that, again, can only be described by him. 
So my hope and my prayer is that we can count on you today. In fact, can you commit today to be the church here in Nolensville, Tennessee? Because throughout the history of the church, there have been these amazing moments where thousands of people came to faith in Christ. But according to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it shows us that people will, in fact, be reached daily if we live out the message in our homes, in school, in our neighborhoods, in our work. This day of Pentecost that we celebrate, it was the harvest. It was the celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. And they were literally celebrating vegetables and plants and wheat and yams and anything else that you could grow. It was a day to celebrate harvest. How fitting on the day to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest that God brought a harvest. But it was not a harvest of just fruits and vegetables and wheat. It was a harvest of people. And as the church, our mission is to be workers in that harvest field. Jesus told us in Matthew 9.37 that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here at Rolling Hills Community Church, we have a very unique model by which we operate under. See, our model and our mission is all about the people who do not know Jesus yet. And why we gather together in places like this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, why we gather together in places like this is to kind of be a charging station, to equip you, to encourage you, to empower you to go back into your neighborhoods, to go into this globe, and to equip others for the, saint, the saints of ministry. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you're on our team already. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray that you'll step up today and that you'll hear these messages that come through the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter delivered that what shall we do? Repent and be baptized. So if you have that relationship with Jesus Christ already, I invite you today to pick up a towel, to put on an apron, to put on a hard hat, to find some steel-toed boots, and let's get to work to proclaim boldly Jesus here in our community. But if you don't have that relationship with Christ, step on up this morning because we have some good news to share with you. The church started strong. Praise God, the church is still strong. So can we count on you today to be a worker in his harvest